Well, welcome this morning, WSFI family, 88.5 FM on your radio. We have a real treat today because we are going to be talking with Mr. Scott Phelps, and we are going to be talking about something that is vitally important for our country, for our state, but most importantly for our families and our children. Scott Phelps is the executive director of A&M Partnership, A, abstinence, M, marriage. So A&M Partnership, you know, two, the two go together. You can't, uh, you can't have one without the other. And Scott is a well-known speaker. And the reason that we are presenting this program today uh, is because... The Illinois legislature passed a bill, SB 818, which mandates comprehensive sex education, K through 12, using CECAS standards. And I'm going to let Scott carry it away with CECAS standards and the message. And Lake County Right to Life is going to have a formal program with Scott on August 28th at 9.30 a.m. at the Libertyville Civic Center. So we hope you will tell your friends and neighbors to come because our children are at stake. So welcome, Scott. Thanks so much for having me, Bonnie. Really appreciate it. So let me go ahead and explain uh, sort of what's going on here. Uh, you know, they, the uh, state legislature has been, you know, moving further and further to the left. And in 2013, we did battle with the legislature back then, trying to keep them from uh, watering down the abstinence education standard that was the state law. Typically throughout the United States, most states have maintained an abstinence until marriage uh, state law, uh, simply arguing that helping young people re uh, reserve sexual activity for the context of marriage is, of course, clearly, factually, objectively, the safest, healthiest choice. So it's kind of a no-brainer that your state standard would be that, right? Let's help kids understand that not getting involved in sexual activity is really the best thing for them. Well, in 2013, they really went to work on that. They've been sort of chipping away at it for years. But in 2013, they, they added a requirement that uh, any school that teaches kids about abstinence must also teach them about contraception. Well, this is a big difference because what the state legislation at that time said was that you need to teach abstinence and contraception for the protection of, against pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases. Well, of course, that's just a lie. Uh, contraception does not, quote unquote, protect against those things. And people don't need to be protected from pregnancy anyway. Pregnancy isn't something like a disease that is harmful to you. Uh, pregnancy is a good thing. And so... The idea is that we need to uh, that we need to have a law that says to teach young people abstinence and contraception for the protection of pregnancy and STDs is uh, really a fa it's factually not true. For example, contraception does not quote unquote protect you uh, 
uh, from anything. And so they put that in there to sort of water down the standard. And the biggest contradiction in that statement is, is that the difference between abstinence and contraception, in one case, abstinence, uh, young people are not having sex. And in the case of contraception, they are having sex. So you can't teach those two things in parallel, as though they are both sort. There are they are both roads toward protection. See what I mean? They actually are not on the same path. They're on divergent paths. In one path, abstinence, you're teaching kids to avoid sexual activity. In the contraception path, you are teaching them how to engage in sexual activity. So these two things do not uh, exist in a parallel relationship. Uh, they are actually uh, at odds with one another. They are mutually exclusive. And the binding together of them was uh, quite problematic. So that was in 2013. And uh, they didn't stop there. Uh, what happened, they, they've had a couple of different tries at it. But this year, they finally got uh, over the hump. And they passed a very, the most extreme uh, sexual education mandate uh, well, I should take that back in terms of mandate. They softened the language on mandate uh, somewhat, and I can ex explain that more. But they changed the sexual education code here in Illinois to be among the most uh, radical in the country. And what they did is they took what's called the National Sex Education Standards. Uh, Bonnie mentioned SECUS. That's the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States. Sounds all very official. It's not official at all. It's merely a uh, left-wing lobby group out in Washington associated with uh, Planned Parenthood and the Human Rights Campaign and folks like that. They're basically just a Washington lobby pushing for liberalization of uh, sex education. And so they came up with their wish list of standards that uh, – that uh, the state of Illinois said, yeah, that sounds good. We'll take that and we'll make that the law of the land. Now, coming back to the mandate portion, uh, they originally, the original iteration of the bill did say that uh, all Illinois schools shall teach uh, comprehensive sexual education based on the national standards or in compliance with the national standards. But uh, after some pushback from people like Bob Gilligan and others who did a very good job in explaining uh, the case, the legislature did back <clears throat> off of that a little bit. So that now what they've said is instead of all schools in Illinois shall teach, it now reads <clears throat> all schools in Illinois that teach. So schools that choose to teach comprehensive sexuality education uh, must then follow the uh, new the sexual education standards developed by these radical activists out in Washington. And if you want to know more about that, it's very easy to find out about these standards. You can Google them, uh, National Sex Ed Standards. It'll pop up in all those search results. It's very, they've done a very good job of getting them out there. Uh, and you can read through them for yourself, and you'll see exactly what Illinois schools now are required to follow. Now, again, because of uh, Bob Gilligan's good work and influence, uh, they did take out the requirement for private schools. So it only affects public schools, is my understanding. Uh, but nevertheless, we need to be concerned whether our kids are in public schools or not. Well, uh, sure. Because this affects all of culture. It affects all of culture. Go ahead, Bonnie. Sure. Uh, I, I think for our listening audience, Scott, 
Uh, Bob Gilligan is the executive director of the Catholic Conference. And Bob lobbies down, Bob and his office staff, lobby down in Springfield on bills such as this that are so radical and so opposed to not only Catholic teaching, but teaching of any Christianity at all. You know, it seems, Scott, and maybe we can develop this a little bit, uh, that they're after our kids in more ways than one. Uh, they're opening the door to, in K, you know, to all kinds of things that parents, if they knew what the school was teaching, would probably be opposed and make uh, uh, an attempt to go to the school board or uh, to rally other parents. And this is why we're having our educational uh, opportunity on the 28th of August uh, with Scott to develop this even more on what parents can do. But uh, from your perspective, Scott, uh, what are some of these standards and how, how will they affect the culture? Yes, uh, very much so. Uh, so thank you for the question. So these national standards, um, in fact, I think uh, one of the legislatures on the floor said, well, if they're national standards, how many states have adopted these standards? Because they make it sound so grandiose. And I think the response was two. I think there are two other states uh, that have sort of gone over the falls and uh, and taken on these uh, standards. But no, they are uh, they are quite extreme. And uh, I can certainly quote from them for you. Uh, but uh, if you just go to the, uh, uh, like I said, if you Google national standards, you'll be able to find them, but I'll be happy to chat with them, uh, with you about them. Um, oh, I was gonna say, my train of thought, I was gonna say something about uh, Bob and the work of, uh, that he does down in Springfield. So our organization, A&M, we are non-political. We do not engage in lobbying, although, we do try to explain things and provide information for legislators, uh, legislators and people like Bob and others who are fighting the battle to know, because this is the world that we live in, to know what these things are. So we just try to educate and inform and help people understand what the issues are. And uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, Kathleen Sullivan and Phyllis Schlafly, and they began doing this work back in the early 1980s. And uh, Kathleen Sullivan then was my mentor and taught me everything I know. And uh, she's actually still doing a tremendous work down in Southern Florida. And uh, we carry on the work here and nationally. But uh, what Phyllis and uh, Kathleen were concerned about back in the uh, 80s is really coming into full bloom now. And that is the radicalization of the classroom, uh, particularly now in the area of sexuality education. And it's not bad enough. So, so let me back up and say this about the sexual revolution of the 1960s. The sexual revolution of the 1960s, what it did was it uh, drove a wedge between sexual activity and marriage. Up until the 1960s, our culture understood and had a fair amount of respect for the concept that sexual activity uh, is best reserved for the context of a marriage relationship. Not that people didn't have non-marital sexual activity, they did, but it was frowned upon. It wasn't acceptable. It was uh, not morally uh, recognized. And so 
uh, you had a very uh, solid family culture in which 95% of children in America grew up with a married mom and dad in the 1960s. Uh, so put another way, 5% of American children were born outside of the context of a marriage relationship in 1960. But as a result of the sexual revolution in the 1960s, which came along and said, hey, 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 listen, you don't have to be married. You can get yourself some contraception and have sex with a whole bunch of different people. That has had devastating effects on our culture so that instead of 5% of American children being born outside the context of marriage today in America, 40% of American children are born outside of the context of marriage. And so it has had a devastating effect on the family, on the breakdown of the family. And we would argue that it is this very breakdown of the family that is so uh, harmful to our culture. That so many of the pathologies that we see today, uh, whether it has to do with uh, gun violence that you hear so much about or uh, you know, whatever the, whatever the issue is, abortion, for example, 85 to 88% of abortions occur outside of the context of a marriage relationship. So many of the issues that plague our nation are the result of the breakdown of the marriage and the family, and that young people growing up without the benefit of a married mother and father. And so doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have a father in their home can't do well. They can, but there are significant hurdles that have to be overcome. So what we want to do is help rebuild that uh, bridge between uh, sexual activity and marriage as being uh, a union, that those things go together. Well, coming back to the sexual revolution, what has happened in America is since the 1960s and the sexual revolution, the... Uh, schools have essentially codified the sexual revolution in our schools through sex education. In other words, what sex education is in American schools today is nothing more than the teachings of the sexual revolution. That sex and marriage have no relationship to one another. And so the biggest problem with sex education is not that they push contraception on kids, although that is a problem. The biggest problem with sex education in American schools is that they teach kids about sex without any reference whatsoever to the context of marriage. That's the problem. That's, Bonnie, why we are A&M. We want to teach kids about abstinence, yes, but also we want to teach them about marriage, why marriage matters, why marriage is special, why marriage is beautiful, why marriage is worth waiting for, why marriage benefits them, why it benefits their children, why it benefits culture, all of that. They're getting none of that. I say to my educators as I do trainings around the, the country, how much of the media are our kids taking in? How much media do our kids see on a daily basis? And, of course, the answer is over the top, right? It, it increases day by day, uh, the amount of media our kids say. And then I'll say this. How much of the media that our kids are seeing – shows them images of sex, messages of sex, conveys things about sex to our kids. How much sex is in the media? And then the, the people are like, oh, my goodness, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yes, of course. So here's the thing. Our kids today live in a media-saturated world, and that media-saturated world is filled with sexual messaging. And then I say this. How much of that sexual messaging that our kids are taking in portrays sex as best reserved for the context of marriage? 
And the answer, of course, is almost none of it. And so you have a culture not only seeing and hearing lots of sexual messages and images, but they're seeing those completely separated from and divorced from the context of marriage. That is the problem that we seek to address. And so what we're doing is helping young people in schools by training up teachers around the country and giving them the materials to teach kids that sex isn't a bad thing, but reserving for marriage is the safest, healthiest, best context for sexual activity to occur. Now, these national standards, coming back to these national standards, these are, again, a codification of the sexual revolution. During the debate on the House floor, the sponsor of the bill said, quote, well, I shouldn't say quote, it was something along the lines of quote, um, you know, these standards are very well researched. They've been working on this for 30 years. Well, as soon as she said that, Bonnie, I remember 30 years ago in <laughs> 1992 when Bill Clinton appointed uh, Jocelyn Elders as Surgeon General of the United States, you might remember the uproar that she caused when she talked about starting in kindergarten to teach kids about sex using, guess what, the SICA standards. <laughs> and so the SICA standards now 30 years later have become the law in Illinois. That's where we're at. And you know what, and, Scott? I think I think so many parents are fighting so many things right now. They don't yep. know what the school wonder, is teaching. They have no idea. This is a wonder, war to break down the family. It's a war yep. on Christianity. It's a, yes. a, a it is a total destruction of, of an. What was once an innocent child exposed to all kinds of things that if the public really knew, perhaps we would have a shift in our culture. Not sure. Well, but I would. How would how would parents know? You know, how, how would they know? And so this is exactly the point. The the termites have been at work here for 30 years. Uh you know, chipping away the basis of the American educational system. They've worked their way in, and now they are front and center in the driver's seat, uh, Illinois requiring that schools follow the guidance of these national standards. And here's the, the worst part. Uh, I was on a uh, radio show with uh, Bob Gilligan talking about this at the time a couple of months ago when this was being debated. And I said, look, before we even get to the content of the standards, and I, I'm trying to get there, I'll, I'll get there momentarily, but before we even get to the content of the standards and how bad it is, the bigger beast here is that up until now, in Illinois, typically, sex education was taught once or twice. Maybe you'd get it a little bit in the eighth grade, and then maybe you'd get it a little bit, maybe one semester as a sophomore in health class, Right. So typically now in Illinois, a high school sophomore would have one semester of health, and within that one semester of health, there would be maybe a couple of weeks on sex education, okay? That is pretty much the extent of sex education. It was bad, and they got it, but they got it in that dosage. Well, guess what the national standards prescribe? The national standards prescribe that they get it not, not once or twice, but all the time and everywhere, starting in kindergarten, basically, that these these principles and concepts need to be woven throughout the educational 
uh, lesson plans uh, far and wide. And so it is K through 12, not just once, you know, part of a semester as a sophomore in high school, but rather every year in every class, they need to be hearing these kinds of things. And so it is a full-blown indoctrination uh, of our young people. And uh, it is also had just been updated last year because they've really uh, shown uh, now the relationship between critical theory and uh, sexual education and how these two things really go together, that all the stuff that you're hearing today about critical theory and 1619 project and all of this, these are all in the same folder. And so you, I'm reading right now from the National Standards on Sexual Education. It says here, uh, the, the title of this uh, page 11 is Social, Racial, and Reproductive Justice and Equity. The, the NSES, that's the National Sex Educational Standards, calls attention to the overt and covert discrimination, which may be uh, based on biases, including institutional, structural, interpersonal, internalized racism. The standards also reflect a focus on conscious and unconscious bias to avoid possibly perpetuating stereotypes. Social determinants of health are also addressed with a focus on how characteristics such as race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, sexual orientation and gender identity and expression are related to inequitable health outcomes. And so we could go on and on. Here's intersectionality, language inclusivity, quote, no one is qualified to label or judge another person's sexual identity, including their sexual orientation or gender identity. And it is important that the language and terms young people use to identify themselves is respected by the adults in their lives. Adults, including educators and administrators, should respect and use the pronouns each student uses for themselves. So that's what you have. That, that's a thumbnail, uh, just a, a, a brief excerpt. Uh, I see here on intersectionality, they quote Kimberly Crenshaw. And so if you're familiar at all with critical theory, uh, you will see that this is all part of the same, you know, same ball of yarn. And it is now, again, by Illinois, mandated uh, for schools that teach sex education to follow these guidelines. And again, uh, private schools are uh, exempted from this, but our culture is not. And this will deeply impact uh, our culture and the understanding of our culture as it relates to sex and marriage and the uh, breakdown of the family. It will continue. And so we find this... Uh, new legislation to be uh, egregious and harmful for our youth. And I think the more we can get the message out, the better perhaps the culture may turn. I, th I, th I find kids, you know, indoctrinated. They, they, they can't quite grasp all of the concepts, but when it is repetitive throughout the entire curriculum, they get it. And it, it, it's not only, Scott, a breakdown of the family, it's a breakdown of our religious beliefs, our, our absolute yeah. beliefs in the sovereignty of Almighty God. Uh, you know, for our Catholic listening audience, contraception uh, has been 
uh, just tossed around. There are consequences to actions. That is why, you know, the church protects people. Uh, Contraception, uh, you know, to be opposed to it is a protection of the individual, a protection of the culture, a protection of abstinence. Uh, You know, I think if we were to look at this through perhaps religious eyes, it's kind of like God versus Satan, doesn't it? Uh, You know, you can be... You can eat the fruit. <laughs> You'll become like gods, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm free to be me. Uh, you know, nobody can tell me that I, I'm not, even though I am created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, uh, we're moving more and more and more away from our, our principles, Uh and into a world that is certainly full of traps because, well, I hear the music, Scott, so we're going to have to end, but uh, you know, this is 88.5 WSFI, uh, Catholic Radio Antioch, and I have been talking with Scott Phelps. Come August 28th, Libertyville Civic Center, 9.30 a.m., and we'll We'll chat more. God bless. God bless. All right. Thank you, Bonnie. Really appreciate that. This has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.